The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. My name's Sammy James, and in today's episode, we're going to be discussing Fulham's one-all draw at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, our first ever visit, and a brilliant point it was. We're now up to six away points for the season, more than in 18-19, and we've broken the hoodoo of London derbies. And for the first time, we managed to get a point from behind. Records smashed in North London last night as Cavalero's header from Lookman's delicious cross earned a point for Scotty Parker's white centre. Here to discuss the game with me today is Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And chief writer for and chief Fulham writer for the Athletic, Peter Rutzler. Hi guys, how are we doing? I thought it was getting another. I thought it was getting another promotion there. I thought it's gone from being chief Fulham writer to just chief writer. Yeah, I've been, re- been reinstated after the letter I sent last week. Yeah. Just imagine what a hell of a promotion that would be. Chief Fulham writer to just chief writer. Just like there's only one at the Athletic. There's a big triangle, and it all points towards Peter at the very, very top. Um, right, uh, Jack, we need to do some three-word reviews from last night's game, and there were some delicious ones uh, in, the, in the Twitter comments I saw. Yeah, I mean, we had so many of the um, of, of the same kind of ones. So I, you've got to say, there's got to be credit for, for No Way Jose. Um, I've, I've used Louis' <laughs> one here, but there's been, there was a lot of them, and there was also a lot of sorry, not sorry. So, you know, you've got to take those. Jacob Krupa with the Scots Gambit, I thought was quite nice. Um, yeah. Christian Silver with Cav proves point uh, george warren with Mourinho's motivational moan kieran mcginley with silence the cock rule um, which i thought was, <laughs> was 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 excellent i was really upset because i did the three-word review on fulhamish last night um and i used the horseman's head and i realized quite late into this and once i posted it that no one was going to get this because it's a really like weird niche joke because court cavalero is horseman in portuguese and i have a running joke with my girlfriend's dad who is portuguese that he's one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and he texted me when cavalero scored saying that the apocalypse is nigh and i mean it felt like that given it's been how long since cav scored from open play but um but it was one of those so that's what the horseman's head was about I use that. I mean, Jack, I like to think that the average Fulhamish listener is a, is a fairly intellectual person, but who then their right mind was going to make that connection that a Cavalera <laughs> means horseman in Portuguese? Like that Peter, Peter is a, is a clever man. We've read his articles. Peter, do you have any idea that Cavalera meant horseman in Portuguese? No, not a clue. I quite like it though. Horseman work horses. Yeah. It's a nice one, but yeah, you're on your own there, Jack. Well, that's where cavalry is from, isn't it? Oh, that's nice. I mean, again, <laughs> lovely facts, Jack, but how the hell was anyone going to know? I was just like, I don't know. I, I suppose I spend more time thinking about semantics than most people. But yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, they just make sense to me, no? Cavalry, cav, cavalado, horse, all to do with the same shit. Well, it might come in useful if it, if it ever comes up on University Challenge. Yeah, once, there you go. Uh, once a, once a blue moon. quiz. Uh, where does the yeah. word cavalry come from? There you go. Sorted. <laughs> Very good. All right, let's um, discuss the game. Peter, your thoughts um, just generally after a brilliant point came from behind and given all of the sparring that had been going on in the press, all of the debate about the 48 hours notice, it was it was very sweet for us Fulham fans to just to get a point there last night, keep the unbeaten run going and and to shut up Mourinho. Yeah, I think all, all things considered, it, it was a, a really, really good night and 
Um, you know, with all the noise that was going on beforehand, and, and you know, rightly so, as I've, as I've written and um, regarding Fulham's grievances, and, and Parker sort of reinforced that last night when he when he spoke about the fact that there were two players on the pitch who had a day's training pretty much, and there were others who'd had three or four days, and I think the training ground only properly reopened at the end of last week. So, you know, Fulham were in a we're in a difficult position, and then to go to Tottenham. Um, to to keep Harry Kane and Son relatively quiet. I think Fulham owe a lot to Alphonse Ariola, especially in the first half. Um, but to come back, to get the point, to show that resilience and that ability to unpick a team who have really taken their game to another level this year, um, you know, it's, it's such a such a big result and such a confidence boost too um, to be able to go there. And I think it's interesting how you read the sort of all the noise before where the park was sort of lowering expectations or whether he's trying to build a siege mentality. Um, either way, it's it's come up with the, with, with the point and, you know, Fulham could easily have won it towards the end of the game with the, the way they were breaking forward and the impact that Lookman had. It was, it was fantastic. I mean, Jack, that extends the run of draws to five. Um, that's the most amount of consecutive draws that Fulham have had in the Premier League since we got six um, in January 2007. And that sixth draw actually was a one-all draw as well against Tottenham at the Cottage. But um, weird how they align sometimes. It's a strange run when you go on such a long consecutive run of draws because on one hand, you can call it an unbeaten run, but it's not quite the same as when you're winning every week but Fulham are just so hard to beat at the moment and I think it was Miguel Delaney that just said you know Fulham are a tough are a tough task for anyone in the Premier League right now I don't necessarily think we're going to get wins against Chelsea and Man United but Lampard and Solskjaer respectively must be looking at the games coming up and thinking that's not going to be easy no, I think they'll look at when other teams played Fulham right at the start of the year and think, wow, this is a very different team. And then they'd be completely correct to do so, right? And and it's one of those small things that kind of ticks along and, and you look at the side developing over the course of the year and, and you look now at this back four, if you will, of Ariola, Anderson, Tosin Adrabayo and Olaina. And the players around them, and obviously Anthony Robinson and Kenny Tete will drop back in, or or Bobby Decordova Reed, depending on who plays on Saturday. Um, but it's going to be a, a side that is going to be hard to break down for anybody. And I think we saw that there are you, you know there are ways you can score against this Fulham side. Tottenham were not without opportunities yesterday, but they were limited in those opportunities. And I think Fulham have become a side where you have to take your chances if you're going to beat them. And, and and yesterday we saw Spurs not take their chances and they were punished for it. And we've seen the same thing happen to a number of sides over the course of, of this run. You know, we've we've had games where we thought we should have probably taken all three points. We've had games where we thought, yeah, a point is a, a good result for us in, on the back of what's just happened. And and I think it balances itself out in that way. You know, you say it's not a winning run and I completely agree it's not a winning run, but it's, it's building some sustainability and it's building a point that you can look back and go, yeah, we got points against some big sides here. We haven't just come up to, to be cannon fodder. It's nice to watch Fulham and go, right, we're, we're going to be in this game no matter who we're playing against. And I think that's something that we didn't have in in 2019 right that's something that we we really yeah. lacked that when you went into a game you went up to a game you thought how many are going to score against us today and it's not a pleasant thought as a Fulham fan or a football fan you know you don't want to go and think how many are we getting thump, thumped by today you want to go and think okay I don't make I don't care who this is we're going to have a go at them and we're going to we're going to try our try and get points out of this game and I think that's where we are right now and 
And it's massive credit to Scott Parker and his team for getting us to that point and dragging us, I think, to a, to a point by the bootstraps to that point. I had a tweet um, a few minutes ago from Mitch Sloan. He says, um, at Fulhamish Pod, at Sammy James, a few podcasts ago, you said that if we drew every game until the season's end, we would finish on 34 points. I believe we've drawn every game since your stat. Is there something you know? Um, I must admit, Mitch, I didn't have, um, you know, intelligence from the future, but uh, it, it does look that way. Like we are heading towards drawing every single game for the first time um, in the Premier League. Um, Peter, it, it is, it's a funny run that, that Fulham are on, but, you know, I think it's credit to Scott Parker and the, and the style he's built here. It's resilience, isn't it? That's almost the best word that you can put on Fulham right now. I mean, you may be able to come with up with a better adjective as, as the no, chief writer I, over here. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's having that ability to not be beaten easily as, as Jack was outlining is really, really important. Um, and it's been quite interesting just to see the team develop, I think over the year and, you know, we, Jack, Jack mentioned it, you know, you start the season and conceding goals for fun and then how the team has sort of evolved, how they've tactically changed, how they've built on the, the new players who've come in and, and just seem to have, have grown in confidence whereby they go into any game now knowing that they can get a point. And not only that, but also any scenario, you know, you mentioned at the start, Sammy, that this is the first time Fulham have come from behind to gain a point in the season. That's another thing that they've sort of ticked off. It's another thing that they can say when they're in those situations, right, we've done this before, we can go and do it again. And that's so good uh, for their mentality and their way of thinking and approaching different games. And, you know, defensively now, it's just such a world away from what it was at the start of the season. You know, before Harry Kane scored, it was you know, nine hours since they last conceded from open play, which is, which is ridiculous, really. Um, mm. And if you're going to maintain that kind of form against the teams that they've played, you know, Tottenham, um, Southampton, Liverpool, um, you know, that's, <laughs> you're going to do well, you're going to pick up points and <laughs> maybe you put yourself in a position to draw every game to the end of the season. Um, but in terms of Fulham survival and picking up points, it, it, these, these are vital. And I, I think at the moment it doesn't feel like that. It does feel very slow. Um, you know, the fact that Fulham is still in that relegation zone, they're not, haven't been able to leapfrog Brighton who aren't picking up points at all in the same way anyway. Um, you know, that, that can be quite frustrating. I think maybe you look at some of the games that have been in this run, you know, you look at Newcastle, uh, you look at Brighton um, and you think, well, th maybe those are games you can you can pick up wins, but it, that just seems like the next box they need to tick, the next thing they need to get through. And obviously that'll be difficult with the games to come with Chelsea and, and Manchester United. But if you know that you're going to be hard to beat, if you know you're going to be in every game and there aren't many circumstances in which you're just going to be played off the pitch, um, then you know that that bodes really, really well, and it, it seems like a matter of time before before the win comes. Um, but you know that it's, that it's almost making up for that slow start, really, and the fact that they've been able to do that to stabilise, to keep going, and, and now I think most managers are recognising it. You know, Jose Mourinho after the game came in and said, and he said it before as well about how Fulham, you know, they came to the Premier League, they realised they couldn't play the way they did before, they had to change, and now they're a very good team and there'll be a tough opposition and, and so they proved. Well, that's kind of the crux of your article as well, Peter, that I read this morning and it's a really great piece and you should definitely read it. It's uh, The title is Parker is solving Fulham's problems one by one, giving them a chance to survive and, and kind of Peter looks through what Parker has faced this year and everything from, you know, the leaky defence to um, the fact that it took a while to get our first win, even this COVID outbreak and now what we've achieved in this Spurs game and kind of breaks it down looking through the season 
as a whole. It's, it's a really wonderful piece and um, almost felt a bit emotional uh, reading it, Peter, because it is a real journey that Fulham are on this season. And uh, I think you summed it up beautifully. Um, if you want to read uh, that piece and any other athletic piece, Peter's piece, and listen to this podcast ad-free, you can. Uh, throughout January, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price. You can enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts for less than £4 a month. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod to sign up and enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021. That's theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Right, Jack, let's come on to the game. And whilst Fulham were very, very impressive yesterday, um, we had an enormous amount of depth to that man again, Alphonse Areola. Uh, some brilliant saves in that first half, and particularly that one from Son, which probably would have been ruled out from offside in the end, but Areola certainly didn't know that when, when he made the save. And once again, we just have a, an elite level goalkeeper who is also giving us a chance to, to stay in these games and, and nick points as, as we did um, yesterday. I mean, there was a stat going round about his um, save percentage ratio being uh, top four in the Premier League. What more can we say about this incredible goalkeeper who just happens to be between the sticks and is surely our best goalkeeper since Schwarzer? Yeah, I mean, arguably our best goalkeeper since Edwin van der Sar. Um, and and look, Mark Schwarzer, that's no that's no disrespect actually, and and it's potentially unfair. I think maybe the maybe the kind of uh, better comparison is with van der Sar because of the way that they've kept, come in from nowhere, um, kind of against all odds, and and came through. Whereas Schwarzer came to us as Fulham were actually starting to hit a bit of a you know a stride, if you will, and he he felt. Like and it was a, a good fit at the time, and it proved to be an incredible fit. And he was a, a wonderful keeper. I would say this is more of a where did this come from? How have we managed to snag this in the way that it felt like when Van der Sar came in? Um, and 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 ultimately, he's just unbelievable, isn't he? And th there's so much confidence in him in terms of not just saves and not just those kind of outrageous stops. The the one against Son from the header is, is just is a joke uh, how good a stop that is. But we've seen things in the last couple of weeks, the Ward-Prowse free kick, for example. Um, and th there have been multiple occasions where Ariel has saved our skin and uh, and he's done so regularly and without and much fuss, but it's the kind of confidence that he breeds behind the defense as well. And I think this is, is, is such a crucial kind of element of it. It's when there's a corner, you think he's going to get to it. You, you don't expect much of the, of the silliness. There's no games. There's no, you know, there's no worries about the back. And, and, and ultimately you come to that and you think, wow, that's got to give the confidence to, to the players in front of him. And I think that's something we're seeing borne out. You know, we're happy to, to give the ball back to him. We're happy that if he claims for a cross, we're letting him come for it. It's not that everybody's getting mixed up. And I think we have seen elements of that over the last couple of years, less so last year with Marek Rodak, who I thought was excellent. And look, he was slightly unlucky to, to lose his place. But I think if you get an opportunity to bring in a goalkeeper of this caliber and this quality, it shows what a difference it can make. And and I think that nobody's under any illusions that Ariola is is very much in a in a league of his own here. He is an elite goalkeeper, isn't he? I mean, we're talking really, really high standards. And and as you said there, like it makes such a difference, especially for teams down the bottom. I mean, you only have to look at Sheffield United for the for quite an easy comparison where they've lost Dean Henderson, who, you know, quite clearly had a big impact on the team. Now, you know, I watched Darren Ramsdale last year and um, he was Bournemouth's best player. Um, it was absolutely vital, but it wasn't enough to, to keep them up. And he's clearly having a difficult season this time around. He's not had 
I mean, I think numbers wise, he's actually not been terrible, but he's just not had the same seismic impact that, that Henderson had. And then also you look at, you look elsewhere, look at Burnley, you know, Nick Pope, um, the saves he makes, you know, he's really a difference maker. And Ariola is now in that category for Fulham and it just gives the team another level. It means again, that they're in games, you know, that in those moments where the opposition do get on top, but they do apply pressure, you know, you've got a keeper who can pull off world-class stops. Um, statistically, you know, you mentioned it at the, uh, at the start there, Sammy, you know, the save percentage is third highest in the league, but one that's probably a bit more precise is goals prevented. It's an, it's an opt stat where they look at expected goals on target in, in uh, related to the goals conceded. He's third on that list behind Tottenham's Hugo Lloris and Nick Pope. Um, you know, he's, he's come along because at the start of the season, I think, I think he had a shaky start. I think I'm thinking back to the Villa game. I think there was a Jack Grealish goal that was at his near post. And it just, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a new club. It's everything that comes with it. A completely different defence in, in front of him too and, and take nothing away from how good they've been as well. Um, but he, he's, he's had to make up for that. I mean, from a statistical point of view, so the fact that he is where he is, you know, has that all factored in or that that's that really poor start. And now he's, he's coming up and he's, he's among the top performers in, in the division. And, and especially during this run, Every game, there have been moments where Ariola has, has stepped up, and you know the saves against uh, to deny Son were were outstanding. And he's got that all round game. He's good with his feet, his ability to collect the ball from from delivery. I think there was a, a late free kick. I think was it for Tottenham or a corner. And um, Ariola came out and claimed it, killed the attack yes. dead, and that just makes such a difference when you've got a keeper with that much confidence who you believe in and, and, and can you know dominate his penalty area like that. Yeah, those moments. I, I remember that one where he claimed that. Uh, Tottenham cross corner at the end I can't exactly remember and it's just such a relief and obviously for fans watching but also it must be for that defence where they go like thank you Alphonse thank you for just dealing with that and claiming it and it's it's also I, I love that comparison to, to Van der Sar Jack because it, it does feel the same as in like this is a goalkeeper that realistically probably is, is a bit above this level at Fulham, but also I think could do really well for playing for this club for a few years, assuming that we, we stay up and that's still quite a big assumption at the moment. And, you know, at 27 years old, he might establish himself at Fulham and then go on for him to bigger and better things. And that's exactly what happened to Van der Sar. You know, he was struggling at Juventus and Buffon came in and must have been wondering, oh, what's going to happen to my career? He came to Fulham, which was probably a bit of a step down for him, but he was here for three to four years, performed fantastically, and then went to Man United and won Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues. And I... I can foresee the same thing happening for Ariola, and you know, hopefully, he's lifting the uh, the Champions League with with Fulham. But we all know that that's looking quite unlikely. So, you know, good luck to him. But I really think this could be a sensible move for him if he could make it permanent in the summer, assuming we stay up. But yeah, there's a long way to go for that. Um, Jack, there's not much that can be said about Spurs' goal, is there? Really, apart from just dotting your cap and saying that was fantastic. Maybe Kenny Tete could have got a bit closer. Maybe someone should have been closer to Harry Kane, but ultimately sometimes you just have to go. Yeah, that's a bloody great goal. Yeah. I mean, look, we were a little bit narrow for five at the back would be my only potential concern. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, sometimes you've just got to look at it. It's an incredible crossfield diag from Hoiberg. It's an incredible touch from Reguillon. It's a wonderful cross and it's an incredible header. So there's not, too much you can look at and go oh Fulham could you have done more there sometimes you do have to just just tip your hat yeah yes we should have potentially got a bit wider yes maybe you want to close Hoiberg down a little bit quicker in the middle there but 
uh, I think, to be honest, you, you can't expect perfection all the time. And it would have taken absolute perfection to stop a goal of that quality going in. It's such a great cross from from Reggie on that, the whip he got on that to, to drop the ball between the two centre-halves. And I think the only thing maybe from a Fulham perspective from, from, what, from what I saw was just how it was just being caught in that transition. It was very direct. Fulham were very, very high and just didn't react to the danger quick enough. And when you have a player like Reguilon who takes that first touch, which made, which completely changes the attack when he does that because he's able to move the ball quick again. You, you know, there's no, there's no delay. There's nothing holding him back from getting the ball into the box as soon as possible. And then you can see the shape that the Fulham back line is in where you've got Anderson much deeper than, than Adarabayo. Uh, and, and Kane's able to exploit that gap and, and we know how good a finisher he is. And, you know, I mean, that, that's been hyper, hyper critical when, when, you, when you're looking at the the quality in the attack. They compared it on Amazon Prime last night to a goal that Spurs scored earlier in the season against West Ham. And, and it was exactly the same. It was Hoiberg to Reguilon and then uh, a whipped cross into to Harry Kane kind of towards the back post. But the goal it reminded me of, Jack, and I don't remember, remember this, was when Kane scored um, against Fulham for Spurs in that FA Cup fifth round match a few mm. years ago. And it was Kieran Trippier's ball into the box from the right-hand side. And it was um, very similar and felt a little bit like deja vu. Um, in, in that moment. Um, let's come on to the second half and, and Peter, the sub that really changed the game, it was Kenny Tete who'd had a good hour on the pitch and, and, and did very well, but he brought on Lookman, then Bobby Decker reed went over to the right and Match of the Day picked up on it that suddenly... Having Lookman on that left-hand side meant that Serge Aurier um, was getting into two-on-one positions and Fulham were exploiting that left-hand channel. Lookman changed the game and Parker changed the game with his substitution. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it was quite interesting that sort of tactical element on that right-hand side. You know, Serge Aurier loves to play higher up the field. And I think in the first half, he had the better of things. You know, a lot of Tottenham's threat was coming down that side. He was often making two-on-ones. Uh, Undombele was was tucking in on that side as well, and and suddenly you know had Robinson quite exposed in in that wing back c- capacity. But then it sort of switched around. I mean, in the first half, Cavalera was trying to to break in those areas, and I think he did pick up some good pockets. But he doesn't quite have the same explosiveness and direct dribbling ability as as Lookman. Um, and we we saw that in the second half. You know the way that Lookman's able to take the ball, transition it forward, and you know you could see the runs that Robinson was then able to make on the overlap. Again, that created more space. I think there was a couple of opportunities where maybe they could have could have. Oh, I think there was one attack where uh, the ball came to Lookman, and he could have just maybe found Robinson. Robinson may have been could have been a bit quicker on the overlap, and, and Fulham could have been in. But you know it was such a striking impact to the game. You know suddenly Fulham uh, Tottenham had to deal with a really direct runner in, in Lookman. And we've seen his quality throughout the season. And I think this is one of the best examples of where it's been so obvious how much of a game changer Lookman can be. Um, his touches, his very quick thinker. He's always one step ahead. His passing, the weight of pass. There are a couple of lovely passes he played during the game. There was one which just released Anguissa in the middle um, to just drive at the Tottenham defence. Um, and, and, you know, that, that sort of switched the dynamic of what was going on on that flank, you know, from the first half where Serge Aurier was getting the better of, of Robinson and Robinson in the second half was, was getting the better of him. Um, and that, that, that made the difference, really. I mean, you saw the goal. I mean, the quality with his left foot. Um, normally his weaker foot, I think. Um, <laughs> to, to drop it onto Cavalero's head again, like Reguilon, just in between the, the spaces of the, the centre-halves. And a great finish from, from Cavalero too, who, you know, I think really, really needed that goal after 
yeah, I mean, it's been a long, long time. It's over 30 games without scoring from open play, um, which you don't want from a player playing almost as a centre forward. So that's a massive confidence boost for him who, and in general, I think he's been doing okay. You know, he's had lovely touches, very good in his link-up play. He's a hard runner. And the one criticism we've always had is, where is he going to score goals? But he delivered uh, last night and deserves all the plaudits. The horseman rose from his saddle and uh, and looked at home, <laughs> which was which is enjoyable. I mean, Jack, uh, it will do some good confidence to Cavalero as well. I mentioned it on Full Time Live, but Cavalero's first goal from open play in over a year. A player that has been much maligned at times, and we've discussed Cavalero uh, in depth. But again, um, something else we talked about is his ability to, to hold up the ball. And it was on show again last night. Yes, the goal will be a big was a big moment from from Cavalero, but his general all round play, he is an asset to this team and has adapted his game. And yes, it doesn't mean there's as many goals in his game, and we know that his finishing isn't quite up to scratch. But maybe with that header last night, we might start to see a few more goals from Cav again because we know he can deliver particularly from range. Yeah, um, and I think we saw his confidence straight away, right? I mean, obviously, he he pitched one right into the stand about five minutes <laughs> afterwards. But, you know, just the just the fact that he was shooting, I think, you know, compare that to what happened on, on Saturday with how things shaked out. You know, when, when he went through on goal and he stopped, checked back, looked for Mitrovic, you know, that's not the sign of someone who's who, who wants to shoot and is in form. And suddenly, you got Cav shooting from distance, work, trying to find a, an angle from range. And and I think, you know, have you seen, you've seen obviously players have confidence shifting moods before, but perhaps this is one that, that trumps them all in the way that it, it actually sets up. And, and, and you know, he, he, he was immediately far more animated, far more lively. He's always been good. We've said this before, at holding the ball up at, in tight corners, in tight spaces. He has really good feet uh, and he gets full amount of tricky situations sometimes. But that you know, inability or your unwillingness to shoot from from when 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 things open up is almost stark contrast to Lookman, who looks for the shot every single time. Um, and and look, it's not you don't want to be at either end of the spectrum, really. You don't want to be Andre Scherler, who's shooting from forty five yards with twenty five players in the way. Um, but you also don't want to be on the goal line looking for a pass when you've beaten the goalkeeper and all the defenders hands up, and all you need to do is tap it in. So look, we just we just want a little bit more. Shot volume is important and, you know, you, you don't want to be taking useless pot shots from range, agreed. But you do want to be taking shots when you get the opportunities. And as soon as he did score, we saw him try and shift the ball for a shot a little bit more often. And hopefully that's something that translates into Saturday's game and beyond. I think I think Parker really trusts Cavallero. You know, you, there are certain things that he brings to every game consistently and and you know one of them you outlined there was uh, Jack was his ability to hold up the ball his ability to work in tight spaces his ability to bring the team up the field and and yes there is the trade-off you know and, and you know that's probably why Parker wants another striker why Fulham are looking for another striker just to give them that ability in front of goal that more that better confidence but um but th- those, those prerequisites he brings to every game you know that, that that's so that's so invaluable especially if you're a coach and you're looking at the team and thinking right what do I know I'm going to get from this guy well he's going to keep us he's going to help us in difficult defensive situations he's going to run the channels he's going to press very well um, we've got other goal scorers in the team hopefully he can bring them into play like to Bobby Dover reed or Adam Ola Lutman uh, and maybe he can he can get that goal himself so you know the, the hope is obviously that he, he can now go kick on and, and and score a few more goals and just try and build on that confidence that he now has in, in front of goal because that QPR example was great. You know, I mean, it was just baffling. They didn't go for goal, but it's amazing what 
one goal can do to players and the hope will now be that that can have the impact on on Cavalera. Um, can we just talk about um, Abubakar Kamara's substitute performance? Um, it showed all sides of Kamara, this debate that we've had um, pretty much ever since he signed Jack, that yes, he can stretch play and he has some benefits to being on the pitch, particularly when he comes off the substitute bench, but also would the man just get his head up? Please, for the love of God, that not that lack of pass to Lookman is is criminal. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I do actually think it's quite a hard pass to execute. And, and it's easy for us to say it when we're looking at it from a bird's eye view. And, and he has a player on his left potentially shielding that option. And even if he does see it, actually executing it is a different matter. Um, but yes, obviously you want him to do that. Aside from that, though, and, you know, there were, there were moments that wasn't the only one. He left the ball behind when he went on a break at one point. And, <laughs> and there, there are different, you know, levels to these things. But actually, I thought Kamara did what exactly what he was supposed to do when he came on, which was stretch the game, yeah. get over the back. The, to win that corner, you know, at, at, on 92 minutes, just give us the breathing space to, to you know, lob it into the box. And actually, it was it was interesting and was mentioned on the commentary last night by Peter Drury that Fulham didn't hold anyone back. We didn't drop a short, short corner in there. We tried to win that, which is, <laughs> we, we tried to win the game, which is impressive enough in some ways that also allowed Spurs to have another attack as well. So it depends how you look at it, really, whether that's good game management uh, or, or, or bold strategy is, is a different question. But I thought Kamara did okay when he came on. Yes, of course, we're always going to look at that picture and say, oh, get your head up, get the pass in. But that's not really what Kamara does. Like, this isn't, this isn't, what you bring him on for you bring him on to stretch the game to get away from defenders uh to try and to try and push them into the corners and and that's exactly what he did so you know i i, I don't hold too much against him there i don't think even if he sees that pass he executes it because i think it's pretty tricky to to actually pull it off um but but ultimately i actually would almost rather he'd got his head down and gone for the corner he's had some eventful cameos hasn't he i mean there's the penalty he gave away against liverpool the red card against everton but yeah, I think, I think as Jack says, he, he came on with a job to do. It's just like I was saying before about Cavalero. There are certain things that he's going to bring and that's what he's got to do. Um, I, it's also worth mentioning that just before the, the incident where he could have played Lookman in, he's created an opportunity out of complete out of nothing on the, on the right-hand side. He's turned, his, he's turned his man, he's delivered the ball to Robinson who was unable to get the shot off quickly. Um, so there, I, didn't, I didn't think his cameo was that bad and you know, that, the, the chance where he could have tried to late to Lookman it just, you look at it and you think what, just, if you just had seen him if he was just aware of him but the first touch wasn't good the position of the defender was also excellent which makes it difficult so he, he comes on with a job to do and, and to that extent he did it um, didn't, wasn't, wasn't able to end it with a flourish um, and I think, you know, I always, I always find that he's, maybe this is me, but he always just seems a little rusty when he comes on. And I, 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 I presume this is just, you know, Kamara going back a bit longer than, than for how long I've, I've watched him. But I do wonder if you, when you get, if you just had more match time, and of course that's going to be very difficult to give with, with the Fulham squad and circumstances and the way they're playing and everything. But there always seems like there's more from him to come. You know, he does seem to have a lot of very good attributes, um, but they're, they're just it's always one one step 
behind if you see what I mean and I guess that sort of sums up the he, re- he really does and he actually got unfortunately curtailed Peter by lockdown because he was on a really good run just before it all ended the last game we played against Bristol City I remember him being fantastic um, a couple of games before that he set up a winner against Swansea for, for Mitro with an, an unbelievable cross um, into the box and he scored um, the second to last game before um, against Preston so he was unfairly curtailed because of COVID. Um, I've just seen this. Um, Farrell said that um, a Man City supporting mate of his texted him in reference to Abubakar Kamara saying, he reminds me a bit of Darren Huckabee at City who was once described as like a speedboat without a driver. And I mean, it's got to be the perfect comparison to uh, Abubakar. Just the way that he can go so fast and offer you so much. And if he just had sometimes a little bit of control, then he would be exceptional and and I think Peter what you say is it sometimes comes with game time for Kamara I think expecting him to come in and suddenly perform a world-class assist when he hasn't played for you know several weeks and and even when he does it's it's five minutes here ten minutes there is it's kind of unfair he almost puts himself in these situations though because no other player would get into that situation where he could make that assist but also he then doesn't provide the, the moment of quality that is needed because of the situation he's put himself into and then he gets criticised. It's like a goalkeeper, really. You only notice his mistakes, um, not necessarily the good attributes that, that come before. I just want to add quickly that um, if Abubakar Kamara ever takes a number six shirt while playing up front like Darren Huckabee did, um, I'll be very angry. I mean... It's not a wrong opinion, Jack. That's really it. I don't have much else to add to that. I don't really remember Darren Huckabee that much, but I do remember him wearing the number six shirt and it winding me up. You are not, even if you're a winger, you're only allowed to wear six or nine if you're Swedish. They're the rules. I mean, I assume then Rui Patricio's number really winds you up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know he took it for like nice reasons and that, but just take number 12. Just take 12. Like, it's just really frustrating. Yeah. No goalkeeper should ever be number 11. Absolutely scandalous. Right, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then afterwards we're going to look at the impact of this draw and what it means going forward. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hi, guys. So let's have a look at the impact then of that point. And Peter... Looking at the league table is really frustrating as a Fulham fan because we've gone on this run of consecutive draws as we spoke about, but we are still quite frustratingly rooted to the bottom three. And as poorly as teams like Brighton and Newcastle above us seem to be playing, we just can't seem to get any closer. I feel like Fulham fans, as Fulham fans, we need a little bit of patience. But of course, the the closer and closer we get to the end of the season and Fulham are still in this position, especially with tough games coming up for us against Chelsea and Man United, um, we're, we're always going to be, you know, tetchy because we can say we played well, but as long as we're in the bottom three, we can't be entirely happy. It's been the same sort of feeling for a little while now, hasn't it? I mean, that's that's a product of having five, five draws in a row, isn't it? Where you think, well, we're doing well, the team are playing well, but... Um, just can't seem to to to, to claw one of those teams uh, above Fulham back into the the bottom three. The next result that isn't a draw, you know, is massive. You know, win or loss, it does change the feeling. And it, you may, are we in a limbo almost, or is it sort of this sort of we're just waiting to see which way we're going to end up leaning? Um, performances would say no. I think I think there's enough encouragement from those last few games to say that there's a feeling the points can be accrued further down the line. 
Um, but you know, just getting that, getting getting a win means that this run's fantastic. Getting a loss, then it's suddenly a long time without a win, um, and that and that becomes a heavier heavier thing to bear, especially the fact with the fact that the team aren't outside the relegation zone. But you know, there are the games in hand, um, and I've I'm trying to teach myself not to look at games in hand as points that you're going to win because everyone assumes when you look at games in hand you think oh you know there's three points uh it doesn't work like that you just treat the table as though that these are the points you have on the board um but all, all the same you know it gives it gives full opportunity one of those games of course is against burnley um one of three that's still to come which just seems awful uh to think about um but that that can close the gap if fulham can get a result in it to, to a point um so suddenly burnley are very tight um Brighton, of course, you know, two games in hand uh, to play two games more. And then Newcastle played a game game more as well. And I, I just find it baffling that they've got so many points on the board. Every time I watch them, I mean, against Sheffield United, they were just abject. Um, they've been abject for a long time. I guess that really does hammer home how, how frustrating it was, that game at St. James's Park. You know, this, the red card decision, the penalty, everything, how, how that ended up being a draw. Uh, and that's that's where we look at where, where Fulham need to improve. And that's not... well. See, uh, taking hold of the advantage when they've got it it's taking it's scoring more goals um, finding that I felt like in the Spurs game that there were long periods where Fulham were playing really really well but lacked a focal point Lookman changed it he was able to be that intricate player that player who could break the lines a little bit more encourage players to go beyond the Spurs defence um, but without him there was that you know there were times where they'd get into good areas and there was, wasn't necessarily that focal point you know look, uh, Loftus-Cheek drifted into those areas at times but it isn't that's his not his natural position. I don't think that was even his role. Um, Cavalero does it, but you know it's, it's not always something he's able to do effectively. He did for the goal, which is really encouraging. Um, so that that's sort of the the difference. And I think yeah, when you look at the table, uh, you know Brighton, Burnley, and Newcastle are the teams that are still there. I don't think. I mean, we all say Burnley will get points, but you know this is unless Burnley can. I feel like they do need to strengthen a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, it's the, the, the chasing those teams down will be. Will, will, I think it's doable, and I, I, as much as the, the gaps are frustrating, um, and it probably will remain frustrating for a couple of games more. Uh, it's not. It's not out of reach yet. I was looking at points per game, just sort of randomly, just as is in terms of where the season is, and there's obviously this kind of spectre hanging over it that this could get cancelled. I don't think it will, but but it, it very much could if it if it all went wrong, and we'd still be relegated on points per game at the moment by point naught two of a point. Our, uh we're zero point seven five PPG and Brighton are zero point seven seven PPG. So it is one of those kind of strange ones where. We feel like we're playing better. Those two games in hand look really kind of useful against Brighton and are maybe able to drag them into it. But at the same time, right now, they're still outperforming us game by game. And and that's why they're 17th, we're 18th. Not to do with the games in hand or any of those different elements. It's it's to do with the fact that they are picking up more points per game than we are. And 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 so these games in hand become very, very important, right? And and look, the fact that we're, we're looking at them as, you know, playing Tottenham and getting that point there, and that was a bonus point that we, we were perhaps weren't expecting is one thing but now we've got to play three games in a week 
Um, and and it's going to be a test of stamina as much as anything else. That's not me complaining about the regularity of fixtures before we get shunted on the pod for for talking about it when Spurs had to play four games in a week once. You'd never know. They never <laughs> talk about it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those where we have to deal with it and we have to come up with these things and work up, work up an answer now because there are going to be issues in terms of rotation. I think we saw last night that everyone wasn't quite as sharp as we'd hoped from them. I thought Anguille so much as he was you know, excellent as usual, looked about 80% um, of the player he normally is. He played within himself a little bit. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, we we brought Lukman off the bench speaks for itself. The fact there was no Lamina, we were missing Mitrovic and Kearney and for, for various reasons. But this isn't a squad that has, you know, its full availability on tap to Scott Parker right now. And how we deal with these next couple of games, you know, Chelsea and Man United, they're two big games, especially... Chelsea won, which is obviously local pride as much as as much as points on the board. But, you know, op- I think offers an opportunity to pick up points. And obviously we're going to come on to Chelsea in, in, in a minute. But these are these aren't throwaway games anymore. And I think that's the difference between this season and the season two years ago, right? Where we were looking at those games going, right, they don't matter. We'll get rid of them and then we'll we'll focus on the Bright- Burnley and Brighton games that come after them. But we're not like that anymore. You know, we, di- we didn't look at Spurs yesterday and go, there's no po- chance we can get points here. We're not looking at Chelsea at the weekend going there's no point chance of Fulham get points here and I think that's important for for morale for one thing and two for for team spirit in the dressing room but also it means that you have to go and you know put in 100% every game and that's going to be tiring when there's three games in a week yeah um Jack there's still talk about um signings um in this in this window there was a lively debate on um the Fulhamish Twitter mostly this week about Ruben Loftus-Cheek and whether it was worth terminating Loftus-Cheek's loan in order to allow space for another loan signing, particularly a forward. Um, I noticed that um, you did some research um, in association with uh, SW6 Stats, aka George Singer, uh, on a couple of um, signings, potential signings up front from abroad. And I thought you might want a a minute or so just to to run through those names because um, probably new names, um, well, definitely a new name for me and probably for most people listening. um, I thought you might like an opportunity to uh, give us your scouting report. Uh, yeah, no, I did a little bit. I, I spoke about them briefly on on a, a pod a couple of weeks back. Um, Roman Yeremchuk is is the one for me. I think he's he plays at Ghent. He's a he's a centre forward that can play on either side on either wing, um, which gives him a little bit of adaptability. He's he scored nine goals in fifteen in Belgium this season, three assists. Um, he just basically is a he's a bit of a shot volume monster. He just shoots loads. Um, and actually, to be honest, I think we could do with just getting a, a few more shots off. But you look at the player that have come through it again and it's not you know nobody's you know the likes of Jonathan David who, who's kicked on a little bit of a slow start in France obviously but there have been plenty that have come out of out of Ghent and and really gone on to to big things and Yeremchuk looks like he he could be on his way this summer uh, or this this window sorry and he uh, he really interests me I mean Roma are interested so this is the kind of caliber of club we'd be going up against but I think you go in for him early and and you try and try and nick something there would be a, a sensible one the other one is Nico Gonzalez of Stuttgart but I think that would be a harder task given where Stuttgart are in the Bundesliga and, and basically the fact that I, I could not imagine them being particularly pleased with selling players when they are when they're doing so well um, and, and not far off a European spot, which isn't which isn't bad for a promoted side. So um yeah, I, I would like either of those players, but Yuremchuk's the one for me that I think is potentially more gettable. Um I don't I just want to add that I think 
Loftus Cheek had his best game for Fulham last night. Um, perhaps yes. aside from the Liverpool game where I thought he was excellent. Um, but if you you know you take those things, and I I think I would not be sending that sending him back. I would not be cutting this loan short. I think we're seeing what Scott wants from him, and I and I maintain that part of why why we're not seeing the room loftus cheek that we kind of expected one he's coming back from injury and he does look like he's playing within himself a little bit i'm not you know i don't think we can shy away from that but two i think he's been played out of position for for long periods and yesterday i thought in that kind of 10 slash false nine whatever you want to call it role in the middle with uh cavalero and and bobby deckard over reed to begin with getting ahead of him and obviously lookman in the end getting ahead of him i thought he looked really quite sharp and he was able to win free kicks in dangerous areas he was able to hold the ball up well he, he you know took the pressure off us and i thought he had a good game um and i hope that it's a, a something that we see i was speaking to a a guy Gnini, who does our chelsea previews for us sometimes and he was talking about loftus cheek and he was saying ruben's back and i I said, look, I need more than this to say, to make such a statement. And he was like, look, I've seen him come back from injury before. And I think that it's one of those things where he starts slowly, but this is where he starts to turn. And I think he was saying that he's further ahead in his recovery than he thought he would be. And so that's potentially positive from a, I mean, obviously it's going to have blue tinted spectacles on it because of, of, of who he is and where he's come from. But it's positive to think that other players are seeing him coming back soon. I wouldn't quite go as far as Miguel Delaney said yesterday, which was that he was the best player on the park. Um, but I did think he was good. I think with Loft- Loftus-Cheek, uh, and we've been saying it for a little while that, you know, he's he's been doing okay. And I, I I've, when I've been watching him, I have never really thought he's been terrible. And I think we, I think he's a little bit a victim of his own expectations um you know he came in it was billed as you know world-class player coming in england international uh look what he did for palace during his loan there and he's part of the chelsea team and they see him longer term and you know and, and the natural thinking is oh he's going to be he's going to score goals he's going to get assists and yeah like there's no getting away from the fact that he hasn't set the world alight he hasn't you know grabbed fulham by the scruff of his neck and just pulled them up the table we haven't seen that and but he's not playing badly. Um, I feel like he's making really good runs. His, his interplay is very good. Um, he's competitive in midfield. And, you know, he has been playing in slightly different positions, as Jack was saying. Like, he has been playing almost as that sort of false nine forward, dropping into a more attacking midfield, which, again, as we've long debated, I don't think that's his best position either. You know, I think he might be better as a number eight. Um but, you know, I, I did think in the, in the Tottenham game that he did run the game in certain spells, especially in those first 10, 15 minutes. Um, he was excellent. Uh, he was a difference maker for Fulham. He was really influential when when they went forward. I, I think he could do with having someone to bounce off up front. I think that may may help a little bit in terms of building up that, that interplay and that link play. Cavallaro does drift into to wide areas and that does leave a lot of space in front of him without much to, to work from. Um, but, you know, I think... Whether I, I get the the debate about there being about cutting a loan short um, in place for a striker because I mean the one area that Fulham do have a lot of numbers is is in midfield. Um, Josh Onoma is obviously coming back. I mean he's, he's not the same player as Loftus Cheek. I'm not I'm not saying that, but you know when you look at options, you can think okay, well, there's there, there's a case there, and especially if you want to bring in a striker who can add goals, um, one that would be easy to facilitate in the circumstances, you know, considering everything from from Brexit requirements now for players, there's now a point system which makes the moves a little bit more tricky. I think that'd be fine for most players that Fulham would, would want to pursue, but finding those niche names will be will be harder. Now, you're um, got 19 Ukraine caps, he'll be fine. 
Uh, I wasn't saying that, Jack. I've seen his caps. I know he's going to be fine, but I was just making the point more broadly. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just checking, right? I just don't want anything to go wrong with this deal. Not that not like this deal that's happening anytime soon, but I, I've, made, I've done my research for everyone here. Um, and then also, obviously, the situation with the lockdown in, in, in this country and will players want to come here? And, and that makes it very difficult if you're looking at it from that perspective. And But, you know, I, 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 I just I don't think that's really an option to... to, to send Loftus-Cheek back. I think he's he's quite clearly an important player that Parker trusts. Um, he's showing more quality. I, I think Tottenham was his best game. Um, but may, maybe it's a, an expectations thing. Um, you know, This is still a Fulham team. This isn't a Chelsea team. Um, there is a lot of quality and Fulham are playing very well. And you know he's played in all of those games too. So yeah, I, I, I can see where that's come from, like the, the debate. And I think there's certainly valid points to it. But I, I just I don't think that's the right thing to do at this point, because I don't think he's playing as badly as, as everyone thinks. No, I don't think so either. And, and I fully agree that I actually think it was his best performance last night. I think it was better than the Liverpool game. I thought he was instrumental in parts. And I think we saw some of the quality that he can show last night. So good for Loftus-Cheek. And uh, well, he won't be able to continue it against Chelsea, of course. But uh, fingers crossed, uh, if he's back in the team for, for Man United, then he will. Um, one miscellaneous bit of news. Um, speaking of um, loanies from up the road, Jack, I don't know if you've seen it. It's actually broken while we've been on air. But... Um, um, Lucas Piazon has finally left Chelsea and has joined Braga. Of course, um, Fulham fans remember him very fondly. Who will ever forget the uh, the celebration up at Reading when he wound up all the uh, fans at the Medeski? Um, we obviously interviewed him uh, a few summers ago and, and what a, an afternoon that was for us. A really lovely experience at, at Lucas's house. So um, good for Lucas to finally get out from the shackles of, of Stamford Bridge and, and a good club in Braga to, to join. Um, I, I, I can personally wish him nothing but the best of luck there and I really hope it works out for him. Yeah, he's gone off to meet it to, to link back up with Rui Font, which is obviously delicious and they'll be having a great time in Braga. So hopefully I could go over and see them at some point and, uh, and try not to poison his dog this time. Yes. Uh, Peter, if you don't know the story, uh, Jack once tried to, well, Jack didn't try to, but uh, Jack dropped some um, dark fruits and his uh, his dog started licking it. And um, it was a white dog and it suddenly ended up purple. And um, Blimey. What was in the fruit? No, I basically had a couple of Strongbow dark fruits in my bag. Oh, oh, oh right. Oh, right. And they exploded and started dripping all over Lucas's floor. And the next thing I knew, I, his dog was looking up at me and it was purple. Uh, <laughs> And I was like, right, my Ribena has spilled. <laughs> uh, good times were had by all. I honestly wanted to cry, Peter. Um, right, we're going to take a break and then afterwards we're going to preview Saturday's SW6 derby. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James with Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins. Let's have a look then at Saturday's rearranged game against that lot from up the road. Peter, your first experience uh, of an SW6 derby, of course, not in the way um, that you'd have wanted with the atmosphere at Craven Cottage. Um, it's it's an odd rivalry. It's an odd derby. Obviously, there aren't too many teams closer um, the, than Fulham and that dog track um, just up the King's Road. But we're going into this one probably more positive than we ever have into in, into a game uh, against Chelsea because right now Fulham are in quite a good place and, and Frank Lampard's side are not in a good place. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on Frank Lampard at the moment. You know, I think the Chelsea guys at The Athletic reported that been looking at uh, other names 
um, who could potentially take over that squad. And, you know, that's that's going to make it difficult. And it is a shame that with that in mind that there won't be supporters there just to make it that bit more tense, that bit more tricky. But, you know, considering the way Fulham are playing, it's, it's going to be a really tough challenge for, for Chelsea. And you just... You just wonder, I, I imagine this is going to be the kind of game where if Fulham can keep it tight, can keep them out for a little bit of period, those doubts creep in. Um, I mean, the issues we've seen with Chelsea, I mean, they've got so much talent, they've brought in a lot of talent, but actually finding who Lampard wants to play, what sort of attacking play they want to build. You know, most teams seem to have a clear identity in players they're sort of building around, whereas Chelsea have been very chop and change. We haven't seen the best of Kai Havertz of yet. Timo Werner's gone off the ball a little bit. I think he scored in the FA Cup over the weekend. So that's a boost boost for him. But of the quality, they should be playing a lot better. They should be playing a lot better than they are, considering the, the quality in, in, in their team. And and yeah, it's been a it's been a long time, hasn't it, since since Fulham won against Chelsea. It's 15 years this year, isn't it? So uh, now would be a very good time <laughs> to, to end that run. And don't, as you say, don't this remind is a, this, us. <laughs> this, this seems like a, a really good opportunity to do that. Um, and that that's an encouraging thing. And, you know, it's a, it's a shame really that Fulham didn't have the, the full week to prepare for it for a Friday night game. Um, you know, there was a lot of resistance, I think, for to, to Chelsea actually moving to the Saturday. And I mean, that would have really furthered Parker's anger if, if that game had stayed on a Friday. But it has been moved, which is good. And, um, you know, Chelsea have the extra, the extra days to prepare, but you know the focus is on them. The pressure is on them. It's not on Fulham, and 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 that should serve the team well. Thing is, Jack, Fulham are not winning this game. That's the only thing I know. When it comes to Chelsea, we just will not win on Saturday. It feels like the stars may be aligning for us to to go up and do something, but. I, I am just not confident. I don't know why. I just I just don't believe. And and I know that's bad to say, but I just really don't believe because they always find a way to beat us. They always do. Well, I mean, the only thing I would say is that it would be real Fulhamish, to, to coin a phrase, if you will, um, that we'd beat them when we weren't there. That would be incredibly frustrating, yeah. wouldn't it, to, to not be able to be there and see it. So, so there is that element of it as well as the, the kind of history and 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 look ever since Clint missed that penalty on Valentine's Day I think I've had this hole in my heart um as as to why we why we just can't get the job done get it over the line and you know, I was there on that that day Louis Bowamore scored the goal but it was it was so long ago that barely remember it I was still at primary school I think so it's yes of course there's the the historical kind of non-matchup that we just can't do this one but it would be very us to do this when we're not there and get a, one of the best days in of, of Fulham recent history while we're not at the cottage so I don't know I, I was really not very confident pre-yesterday um I thought okay so before when it was all was set up and it was the Friday after that and the run of form they're on, I was like, okay, we could go and get something off Chelsea here. I think we really could. And then the whole rearrangement happened and I was like, well, that's that then. We're losing both these games this week. And then now after yesterday, I flip-flopped again and you know, I've got a real real kind of desire about this team. And, and there is something, especially with Chelsea, in the, in the kind of rut they're in a little bit and with all the things hanging over their heads, perhaps, perhaps this is a team that could do some damage. And... Who knows what this squad is going to look like on Saturday? You know, we've we've played 
210 minutes in the space of four days. We've got players coming back from COVID. We've got a, no Ruben Loftus-Cheek, which I know a lot of people will be will be pleased about, but I actually think it leaves a big hole in the middle there where I'm not quite sure who's going to slot in there right now, whether that's Josh Onoma coming back from injury, whether it's Tom Kearney reportedly coming back from an injury, whether it means that we go three up front with Mitrovic reportedly coming back from an injury. You know, we, there's lots of things that are up in the air and... Right now, I'm just excited to see what the side is going to be and, and we'll kind of go from there, I think. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea's recent run of form has not been great. Obviously, they beat Morecambe 4-0 at the weekend, but uh, kind of discounting that, there was the loss at Man City, uh, a draw against Aston Villa where they snatched a point at Stamford Bridge. That The defeat away at Arsenal must have been really, really galling um, for them given the run they were on and the fact that it's basically um, produced a turnaround for one of their most bitter neighbours. But they did beat West Ham fairly convincingly by scoreline but certainly not in performance there was the defeat at Wolves defeat at Everton so pretty much since the start of December Peter Chelsea yes they may have got a couple of wins against West Ham and Morecambe but have just been so far from convincing and when you look at the amount of talent in that side it isn't really you can see why Chelsea fans and obviously as as per what you said through a few of the athletic reporters Chelsea ownership are starting to get very very annoyed that's Chelsea, isn't it? Though I think I think there would be a feeling otherwise that, that Lampard may need a little bit of time to to gel these players together. I think, you know, it, it's the, this is Chelsea, isn't it? You know, the Chelsea would love to change their managers if it's not going well, if there's not instant instant results. And I think Lampard's got the worst win percentage now of any Abramovich era manager, and it's only a matter of time if that sustains before things are things are altered, uh, as we know from how they operate at, at the Bridge. Um, I do feel a bit for Lampard. Uh, am I allowed to say that? Um, no, <laughs> not, not, not really. Peter. Not, the, not, too, not around here. He's caused too much pain around these parts for anyone to feel any real sorry sympathy for him. But I, I do appreciate. I think what you're about to say. Yeah. No. In 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 terms of well, if we start in the first place, I don't think he he probably was ready for the job. Um, from Derby when, when he arrived I don't think this was right for him he did a really good job last year in those circumstances proved a fair few people wrong using some of the younger players um, he's then been you know handed uh, a transfer kitty these fantastic players um, and then expected to just make it work um, and, and football doesn't doesn't work like that it doesn't always sometimes it does I mean but I mean, when you're when you're bringing these players from from different clubs um, and trying to merge them together with some of the younger players, he's already tried to blood. Um, it's it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy, and and yeah, there's no doubt that Chelsea should be doing better than than they are. Um, you know what? They're, they're down in ninth at the moment. Um, they've got Villa above them with multiple games in hand. Um, West Ham level on points. I mean, you know, and even Arsenal are now just three points behind them, considering the you know the terrible <laughs> start to the season they had. You know, it shows how tight things are, um, and that that's that's something that can't last. Um, but that said, you know, I I think with a bit of time, maybe maybe Lampard could try and show what he's trying to do. Um, but you know, even even when when Chelsea have managers that that have a clear identity and want to do things in a certain way, if it doesn't always it doesn't always that doesn't always win you when you support uh, from, 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 from the fan base and, and, and from the hierarchy as Maurizio Sarri found out last year. So I do feel a bit for him, um, but you know, this, this is Chelsea. Um, so I think from, from what that means for a Fulham perspective, you're going to, you're going to have to expect a response. There will be some kind of 
fight back. They'll need that. And um, but of course, the flip side is that that doesn't happen, and things get a bit nervy, and, and maybe there's some more records that can tumble. Well, if uh, Fulham do take his job from him, it won't be the first time that Fulham have taken something from Frank Lampard. Um, Let's come on to um, who Scott Parker might pick for this match, Jack. And I'd imagine Lookman will be getting a look in um, after his his cameo. Um, Hopefully we might be able to see Lamina back. We don't know what the injury situation is there. Assuming most people are fit, Jack, um, what kind of lineup do do you go with for this one? I think we might have to stodge the midfield a little bit without a loftus cheek. If Lamina is back, then I think he might go with a three in the middle that is Angisa, Lamina and Harrison Reed. with Lamina perhaps the most advanced of the three, um, mm-hmm. which seems weird considering he's played the deepest of the three in in various situations before. But No, no, he's got to be the releasing of Angisa. This is it. This is the moment Angisa like, you know, explodes. <laughs> I don't think I- Angisa would like that. I think <laughs> from the base um, in, in that regard. But I think Lamina would play slightly ahead of them and just give him a little bit more freedom to sort of run those those kind of more risky manoeuvres. He is probably the biggest risk taker of the three, I think, there. Um, and so leaving him in a slightly more advanced role might work out nicely. Um, so which means there's going to be two up front, which I'd imagine actually will be Bobby Reed and, well... I say that, Cav scored, didn't he? Uh, I would have said it would have been Bobby Reading and Lookman after what happened, but I think given Cav's newfound goal, um, he, he might he might find the confidence to give him another go. And and that leaves Scott with a decision to make because I don't think you could drop Bobby after his thing. The question is, does he go back to right wing back? And does he try and does he try and use that outlet to counter the fact that we're probably not gonna play with a ten? Perhaps maybe that's the maybe that's the answer. And Kenny Tete drops to the bench, but it's nice to have options here. And maybe that's what I would do. I'd go Cavan Lookman up top, Bobby Reed at right wing back, and then stodge the midfield with Lamina Reed and Angisa. I think Decal Dover Reed is going to come in and take the Loftus Cheek role. I think that's probably the more likely thing to happen, just because Decal Dover Reed has played in that sort of advanced midfield role before. He's played it a lot for Fulham. Um, it means he can get forward and I, I think Kenny Tetter will probably keep his place. The only thing that would stop him is just the minutes, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, he only got an hour from against Spurs and uh, he's still coming back from injury. So they'll want to be very careful with him. And But, you know, I, I can't see Lookman not starting, as you say, Jack. I think, you know, he's he, for obvious reasons and, and, and Cavalero's goal really does keep him, keep him on, keep him, keep him in contention. So, that that third sort of midfield spot will be will be really interesting. I think it sort of reflects sort of the approach that Fulham want to take. I don't know if Lamina could do that role so well. I, I know he's 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 played in that sort of advanced role, but he's before. But I don't know if that's really really suits him so much. And I don't know if that would be too negative. Um, you know, I don't think necessarily Fulham need to be that negative against Chelsea, and especially the way they're playing. So um, maybe, but you know. Yeah, I mean, Angus has played as a ten when he was younger. That's his favourite position. So maybe, maybe this this is it. You know, I think Chelsea. I think Chelsea saw in the FA Cup that that playing with twin eights is something that probably benefits them. Playing Havertz and Mount in front of a, an Angola Kante or a, or a Billy Gilmore, whoever that might be at the base, um, allows them to 
I don't think it puts Kante in his best role. I think it disadvantages him, to be honest. But I do think that yeah, it gives them more going forward. And if they do do that, I'd be a little bit wary about having a two-man midfield matching up against it. Uh, and Peter, it sounds like Kearney probably isn't in contention for Saturday. What has Scott said on this? Because I think I may have missed the announcement as to what's happened um, with, with Kearney and, and his injury. Because obviously, naturally, if, if, if he was definitely available, this wouldn't really be a debate, would it? Um, in classic Parker way, he's been quite coy about it. He said after the game that um, both uh, the the Lamina, uh, Mitrovic and Kearney, he hopes to have them back. That doesn't necessarily mean that they will be back. That doesn't necessarily mean anything as far as as Parker's uh, injury news goes. Um, But I think for Mitrovic, he did pick up a knock after QPR. Parker mentioned it. He wasn't sure if it was his hamstring or glute. So I think that explains his absence yesterday. And then uh, Lamina, I'm not sure. And I'm... I presume he's, he's just not been involved after everything that's happened. And then um, Tom Kearney, uh, I think there was, he, he posted on Instagram before or, or before the, the first postponements that he was icing his, his, his quad or his knee or something like that. So maybe he's got a knock, but I, I don't know. I don't know that. So uh, there's a press conference today uh, at one o'clock Thursday, one o'clock, and I'm sure we'll get more clarity on, on that and his uh, availability. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see uh, what happens in that press conference. Um, As ever, uh, do follow Peter on Twitter um, to find out what all the news is from that. To be honest, it will probably be out by the time this podcast uh, is out as well. Okay. Well, Fulham Mitch will be back uh, on Sunday night, uh, looking back at the SW6 derby. Can Fulham break the hoodoo? I'm not confident, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, but you know. I am. Let's win it. Fair enough, Jack. I'm just, you know, better to um, lower expectations for me in this one and maybe Fulham can spring a surprise on my soul because deep down we would all absolutely love it, uh, even though it won't be quite the same uh, if we're not there. At least there won't be any fights on the pitch this time if uh, if Fulham do win. (laughs) Um, Right, uh, Peter, thank you very much for being on the pod today. Thank you. It's been good fun. And enjoy your first SW6 derby on Saturday. Yeah, I will. I will. It won't be the same, of course, but... um... Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe I can start some skirmishes. Yeah, maybe have a, have a fight with with Liam Toomey. I don't know if Liam will be there, sadly, because of all the restrictions. But if he was, I would normally start a fight with him anyway. So <laughs> Good. Just shout some abuse at Frank Lampard for us from the stands, please. Uh, Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday. Have a good weekend. Come on, you wait. You wait.